So I know we've done this before, but still, like, can you introduce yourself for the coaches and therapists? Sure, sure. Uh, my name is Hakan Andersson. Uh, I live in uh, Sundsvall in the northern, northern Sweden. Uh, I've been a spring coach uh, since 1985 around on a, for a national and on an international level. Uh, I've been uh, coaching, consulting athletes in a lot of other uh, sports on high level, like uh, swimmers, boxing, speed skating. But also, you know, done some work in in soccer and basketball, ice hockey, more so as a personal coach than in a group setting. And I'm currently working as a senior advisor at the High Performance Center in Växjö, uh, in in the southern Sweden, where I'm responsible for for our, also for our testing facility, and we we support uh, around thirty professional and semi-professional sports. Uh, mainly in team sports, in in ice hockey, in uh, football, handball, and so on. So, um, so that's what I do. Cool, man. Uh, I think it's about like two weeks. Two weeks ago, I started to ask like like uh, sprint coaches all around the world to give me their like top five should uh, sprint coaches for them right now and. You're you're in many of the those lists. Oh, thanks a lot. That's that's very very flattering. But but uh, I don't know. It's not a competition between between coaches, and sometimes it's hard to understand those kind of rankings. You know, for for me, it's uh, it's about uh, being as good as you you can be. You know, with your circumstances and. And the end of the day is about winning medals, and it's it's hard to compete with some that probably probably you know on the, on that list. And you know, I had a chance to to spend some time with you know, Stephen Francis and and his MVP group at the University of Technology in Jamaica. And uh, you know, when you talk about success, I think he has guided you know almost ninety medals in the Olympics and the World Championships. You know, that's more than many many great nations in the world and that's only within one group setting and and from one coach and so what i saw there you know was a, a very dedicated hard-working man uh, you know very science driven you know uh, never seen so much technology anywhere in the world and i've been in a lot of places and uh, you know francis he masters up to I think his group uh, contains about almost 70 athletes. And and of course, he has great assistance by some assistant coaches like uh, Sean Manboard and others. But uh, it's just an incredible environment for, for, uh, for uh, you know, for, uh, for sprinting and hurdling and, and, and so on. Cool. So uh, this is based on what we discussed before. So how exactly do we, to be a successful coaches like you or like others but i think i think you have to do the best out of your own circumstances you know like where where we are you know our, our ground is covered with snow you know from from the beginning of november till the end of april you know so you know obviously we don't have a we can't run in grass and uh, you know we don't have much sun in, in the dark periods but it, I mean, that's what it is. You can't let that drag you down, you know. And, uh, 
but you also have to to you know you also have to consider that one training system is not necessarily the best system for everyone and and me as a coach is definitely not the best coach for everyone you know the and I think you know communication is a is a key feature for for coaches sometimes we get uh, maybe too uh, technical we study and read a lot you know but it's you know, you know, end of the day is a matter of communication. You know, we are dealing with human beings. You know, and we have to accept that. You know, every athlete is, is unique. You know, and you have to to enjoy guiding young athletes to be better athletes, but perhaps more important to be great human beings. You know, you know, after the hundreds of coaches, I, I you know, athletes I coach, you know, only a few made it to the international level. You know, but I'm very very happy to see that most of them have very good lives and successive careers, you know, and they look back uh, to their athletic career with joy, you know, not only from, from, for winning medals, you know, that from, you know, spending time together and, and, uh, you know, I have, I have, you know, some athletes I coach for a very, very extended time, you know, one guy, Stefan Tanhuvud, you know, he's been a national champion, I think about six times. I think it was, I was his coach for 16 years. So, so you develop a very strong relationship. It's a, uh, almost like a father-son relationship and you got to enjoy spending time with it with, with these athletes you know if you, you 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 know it's a very important thing you know if you want to succeed that you have to have necessary time you know that uh, you know if it takes 20 hours a, a, a week for an athlete you know it takes almost 30 30 hours for a, for a coach you know with a, not only to attend the practice but you have to plan the training you got to evaluate and so on so you you must have a lot of time uh, uh, available, so so it's um, you know we have to understand that uh, uh, like I said everyone is unique and we have to to start there I think. Love this, I love this. I think people who are listening to this they will be learning a lot. And you you also need access to talent. You know <laughs> you have to you know sprinting is a very genetic sport. So, you know, it's a matter of finding the the right uh, parents, and uh, that uh, and then uh, like a coach that doesn't uh, ruin you <laughs> with too much hard work. You know, and uh, you have to access to facilities is really important. Uh, climate can make a, can a big big change, but uh, murder, uh, money can certainly to a point perhaps equalize a latter. You know, if you can afford to go to warm where the training camps, that is usually a situation for. Scandinavian athletes that try to spend as much time as they can afford in in, in on the on the warmer warmer latitude in in the winter months and and it's very important that you make sure as an athlete as a coach that you that the athletes has a good social situation that, so that they can really focus on the sport you know it's not enough to to just attend practice you got to make sure that the the athletes are, are well looked after and they have, you know, if they're doing something on the side, if they're working part-time or, or if they're studying or if they're full-time athletes, that, uh, uh, you know, it's very important that uh, every piece of that puzzle, you know, it's uh, optimal. And, uh, you know, like a constant worry about money is not a good breeding ground for, for elite performance. And, and to mention, I don't know if he's on, on your list of, of coaches, but one person I like to highlight is my very good friend, Norwegian coach, Leif Olav Alnes. You know, uh, I know we've been friends for more than 30 years. And for like most uh, coaches, you know, his career been up and down. You know, he was very successful in the 
uh, in the nineties coaching sprinters, you know, one sprinter game more and you know, became European champion in the, in the 200 meters. But his latest, uh, latest uh, success is Karsten Warholm, you know. If you would have said, you know, 10 years ago that a Norwegian uh, four meter hurdler would have, would win the Olympic title and multiple world championships title and break the world record, you know, with almost a second, people would have laughing, you know. But he's always been amazing, you know, with, with, with you know, sometimes very limited resources. And, uh, you know, he's a biomechanic bio by, by education, but he's a jack of all trade. And he's someone that I really admire. You know, he, he, he doesn't work with large groups, usually focus on, you know, two, three, four athletes at the same time, you know, but uh, he's definitely the top of my list when it comes to a good coach or for many, many reasons, not just for, for the success of some of his athletes. Great, great. So, uh, so how is it like how many hours did you like dedicate like for like per week to like prepare for like training your athletes or like prepare for like or to like plan out those like training plan how many hours did you dedicate to these stuff like per week well well when i had the opportunity to coach some of my really top uh, you know sprinters i think i spent uh, must have been spent in 25 to 30 hours a week and out of those hours you know there was maybe 20 hours at, at the track you know and there was the rest was you know planning studying evaluating you know and, and so on you know exchanging id with other coaches and so on. so when i was working my hardest was when i was young coach you know now i'm 64 and i definitely have less time ahead as a coach than I have, have behind me, you know, but uh, it takes time, you know, and uh, it's very easy to cut corners. And if you talk to to other coaches, you know, the, the you know, you, you might ask about training programs, but you must ask why, you know, why? you got to learn more, you know. We're, there's so many things that uh, can we can still develop in, 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 in elite sports before we can say that the athletes are reaching the genetic uh, potential, you know, that uh, uh, sports, I feel, is still pretty undeveloped in, in many, many senses. So. Does that include, like, sprinting? Because nowadays there's, like... You know, I usually use a metamorphosis, for us, you know, that, uh, you know, the Greeks, they had Olympic Games for 1,000 years, so. For 1,000 years that, you know, professional athletes, professional coaches, and the Olympic Games was so important that they even put a halt on war, you know, to to to, to run the game. So in 1,000 years, I think you by em empirical evidence, you're going to find out what is the best practice for the, for developing certain events. And we know that a stadium, you know, 180 meters, I think it was, was one of the most prestigious events to win. So we don't know how fast they were, but <clears throat> I can assure you that they were pretty damn fast after one thousand year of experience. And uh, and uh, you know, professional sport at the moment, modern sport, uh, you know, in the in the in our civilization is maybe fifty. If you come back in another, if you if you haven't destroyed the planet and destroyed everything, come back in one thousand years and see what kind of, of performance that we're doing then. Uh, you, you, we think that. Uh, Performance today is the ultimate, but I think there is um, much more room for improvement on all, on, on all levels. Yeah, 
That's true. That's true. So I'm going to jump in to the next topic about like uh, uh, training, like mock drill, that kind of stuff. I, I'm sure that coaches will enjoy the first part of our conversation and learn a lot from it. However, I'm going to just jump in the next topic. Is that okay? Sure, sure. So the first question would be like, how does like mock drills affect like our movement pattern in sprinting? Well, if, if you talk about, you know, movement, you know, regardless what kind of drills you are, you know, it's pretty remote away from the actual event in many, many senses, you know. But I do think, you know, that, uh, you know, the certain drills can, they, it can teach uh, key position for young and novice athletes. Uh, but I don't think it's going to directly improve sprint mechanics of already elite, you know. Uh, it can definitely serve as a, you know, uh, like a, a low amplitude plyometrics, uh, some, some of the drills. And, and to a certain degree, also, it's a, a part of the of the warm up for uh, for for every for every elite athlete. I, I don't think there's anyone in the world that doesn't do some kind of drills in the warm up. You know, but sometimes I feel you know like I can see people that uh, they're sometimes better at drills than sprinting. They're mastering the drills. You know, they look fantastic uh, <laughs> as long as they don't sprint because they've been. Rehearsing, rehearsing, practicing drills, you know. But uh, if if you if you look at the uh, at so many aspects of, of movement, it's pretty remote from the from the actual event. Not only by velocity standard, you know, but uh, from a, a lot of other points. So, so since like since it's kind of like different from the event, how exactly do or how exactly can we like train the coordination or like the motor control when it comes to like high speed running or sprinting? Well, you know, sprinting is more or less a brainstem activity. When a gun goes, there's no time to think what they're doing, you know? And it's impossible to maintain in you know, a perfect motor control at 100% effort. And if you decide to alter mechanic in a positive sense, uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, running intensity between 92 to 96 or 92 to perhaps 97 or in that range is a better choice. Uh, if you compare to ballet, ballet dancers, they might practice uh, six to eight hours a day, you know. And I think it's pretty vain to, 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 to think you can improve mechanics by doing three times 30 meter fly three times a week at 100% effort. Uh, you might improve sprinting uh, time for a short uh, period of time, but I'm convinced that it's not the best process when it comes to long-term development. Uh, but it can be very tempting to for a for a for a young for a young inexperienced coach dealing with you know young athletes to get quick results but running very, very high you know velocity in training a couple of times a week, compete on the on the weekends. But uh, from my experience, the ones that uh, you know choose that route, they usually have premature, you know, speed plateaus that is later on being very, very difficult to break through. So I think we we are more likely to success, success if we 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 think about technique like in belly dancing, you know, or you know, gymnastics, you know, do high volumes of you know semi hundred uh, percent. Uh, 
uh, effort with, with larger volumes to, to teach you know, sprint mechanics because uh, at 95%, there's a lot of similarities when it comes to, to 100%. So sprinting and you can do much greater volume and hopefully uh, you can teach uh, your your brain uh, what is uh, what is uh, proper mechanics so how often do you like uh go when it when when you're training like sprinters how often do you go to like 95 percent of max velocity well, it's, you know, you always have to take in, into consideration of what athlete do you have in front of you? What are their training background? What is their level of performance? You, you, I mean, it's, uh, when you're young, usually you, 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 your recovery is, is faster. Uh, your intensity is probably less. So maybe you can sprint, you know, two, maybe sometimes three times a week. But if you're world class or just under world class, you know, and maybe a little more mature, the intensity is so high, so you need more recovery. So it would be very difficult to 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 train above 95% or around 95%, you know, three times a week with a senior really fast athlete. Then you have to be be more, more careful and and maybe do... Uh, intensities even 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 at even a lower uh, you know you know intensity uh, so you don't stress the system too much uh, you know they usually the the biggest obstacle we have are injuries and it's usually that the the overdose in terms of volume and we overdose in in terms of high volume and and, and too much intensity and if the athletes are not used to it you know and injuries are bound to happen so i i you know i like to see people maybe under train more than over train uh you know let it let it take a little longer but try to stay as healthy as possible but usually the 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 biggest obstacle and if you listen to any interview at the olympics or the world championships they ask the winner why why he won this time he usually saw this this year i've been able to train injury free or or of course, always the exceptions, but uh, I think that's the one thing that a lot of, of champions has in common that they've been able to to train without interruptions for uh, for a longer period of time. And I don't think those, those those few freakish sessions at really really high uh, intensity is is what matters. Is what the average uh, you know session that really matters. You know, and the average type of training for 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 a long period of time yeah so i want to go back to like uh the question about like training coordination and motor control and you you mentioned that we should be considering like athletes long-term development so besides like running um at no matter like 95 or 92 percent of max velocity is there like other like works or other like accessory works that you're gonna do on on the gym or on the track. Yeah, but if you assess an athlete and you think they have uh, improper mechanics, uh, it can be due to the fact they're not having been exposed to to sprinting, so they can learn you know learn just by doing the trade. But sometimes 
is a matter of strength deficit too. That maybe you have to improve the strength in the gym to 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 improve your sprinting mechanics. Uh, but and but sometimes you know the to to sometimes I think maybe that's more potent way of doing it. And not only the gym can be plyometric, can be other things. You know, that might be more effective than sprinting drills to to improve uh, you know the you know the sprinting mechanics, but uh, more indirectly. So, uh, can you like give us some example about like the the work you do? Well, you know, you know, if you have an athlete that tend to collapse, you see that you see that uh, when when they uh, when they hit the ground, they, the ankle joint collapse, usually followed by the knee and the hip. Everything collapses, you know, and you have a very uh, great uh, oscillation of, of center of mass up and down, up and down. If you look at really good sprinters, you know, they, if you look at their head, there's more. They're running on a straight line. The oscillation is very, very low, and because they have great stiffness uh, of the system, can be improved uh, by by you know certain type of plyometrics, and also uh, with maybe isometric training and even even maximum uh, strength training to 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 some extent. You know, so I definitely feel that you can improve mechanics by. No specific uh, exercise as well, but I doubt a little bit that uh, running drills are the are the are the, are the best choices. So. Cool. So there, there's a uh, another po- topic I think uh, not a lot of like coaches or not a lot of like strength coaches are familiar familiar with how the track world works so i'm gonna ask is like if i'm gonna train like sprinters how should i be preparing 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 their core work or like core exercise for let them be able to like sprint faster i don't think you should uh, give them a recipe or 1000 sit-ups a day <laughs> that's not yeah <laughs> but you know you got if you if you look at the at the trunk or the core, whatever you you decide to call it, you know, it's a it's a transfer of force from the lower body, you know, to the epicenter of mass, and it also provides an anchor point, you know, from which the limbs can produce movements and exert force. And uh, but it's not uh, it's not a lot of movements, it's, but it's a great deal of isometrics. Uh, but I also like to include some rotations, you know, and a weak uh, weak core will likely result in poor sprinting mechanics uh, but uh, most important i find when it comes to the, to his proper posture in everything you do uh, you know, so to, you, regardless if you're jogging you're doing plyometrics or sprinting that you have a, a what we call an athletic posture you know uh, so you're not a slouch you know you're, you're, <laughs> you you if you understand what a slouch mean like you're running with you know very low positions, you know, uh, running, uh, you know, on the, on the, uh, you know, planting the foot, you know, on the on the heels, and and uh, so I think you you have to look proud. You have to look like an athlete when you, when you train, and that's probably the uh, you know really good uh, you know you know core training. But we also, if you think about you know some of the like the Olympic lifts or the 
thereabouts or Olympic lifts, you know, there's a lot of abdominal pressure developed in those lifts too, you know, especially if you have the bar above your head. If you if you do you know, in a snatch or if you do a, a clean and jerk and so on, there's a lot of activity in the core. So you get a lot of core stability. You get a lot, a lot of core training. And I don't think uh, a lot of Olympic weightlifters uh, do a lot of, you know, sit-ups and, and so on, you know. They do primarily their, their events uh, and uh, they are, have really, really strong, strong core muscles. So uh, just like basically work on the things we did, just go back to the basic, like we do like squat, then lift or like Olympic lifting and focus on the basic, like sprinting, the core, their core are already strong enough. Yeah, yeah, it's like anything, you know, that is how strong is strong enough. <laughs> you got to look at the at the mechanics, and if you see some deficit there, you know, uh, I mean, maybe you can you have to go into the gym and do some adjustments. You know, uh, it's like everything, you know, how strong is strong enough, you know, how how, how high do you have to jump, you know, how, you know, it's it's usually a diminishing return regardless, you know, if you can squat. Uh, if you weigh 75 kilo and you can do a full squat at 150 kilos and you run uh, 10, 10, 20 in 100 meters, it's not uh, necessary so that you can, if you score 200, we run 10-0. Yeah. You probably have, you have already reached a plateau, you know, uh, in in terms of, of, of that type of exercise uh, to transfer to, to sprinting. But that plateau is very, very different for different athletes, what type of athlete you are, you know. Some athletes thrive on, on, on they can really improve by getting stronger and stronger, and and uh, that plateau comes later, you know. But for others, it comes very early. And some some true champions in the world has barely done any squats. They can still run sub, sub 10 seconds because, uh, you know, they're not necessarily strong in the gym, but they can produce a lot of force on the track. And that's a different story. True. So uh, I'm going to jump in the next one about jumping because there's a lot of, there's also a lot of coaches discussing about the relationship between jumping higher and like running faster. So what are your thoughts on like jump? The relationship between like jumping and sprinting. Uh, because I am a, a dinosaur, I, I can I can uh, dig a little bit in, in historical fact. You know, like Leif Ola Wallness and and uh, you know and I we did a biomechanical study on sprinters in 1994 in Oslo, where we recruited you know almost 30 uh, male sprinters between you know very 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 low 10 seconds up to about 11. And, uh, you know, we had them to run in the lab. They competed for $10,000. And we had them to, to sprint. We had them to jump uh, with loads. And we had them to jump without loads. And at the time, you know, I, you know another good friend of mine was uh, late Carmelo Bosco. And done a lot of the pioneer work when it comes to, 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 you know, stretch shortening cycle, you know, and together with Pavo Kormi and Juvascular and 
he came up with a protocol, you know, the, you know, the, you, everyone heard of, you know, like the squat jumps and the counter movement jumps and the rebound jumps and the drop on jumps, et cetera. And they show with some study on, on student primarily as always when it, when it comes to, to, to studies that they found correlation between the different jumps and sprint performance. Like a, 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 a squat jump, the counter pony jump would correlate with the initial acceleration, and the rebound jump or the drop jump would correlate more with maximum velocity. So we did the test, and we had that we, you know, some people run really, really fast in the gym and they jump really, really high, but we found no correlation whatsoever. But then I started to think, you know, at the time, uh, Finland yeah, came with a group of sprinters, you know. Finland are pretty decent at the moment, but at the time they had a, there was a, it's a low period, they didn't run so fast. But being Finnish sprinter, I think they were very influenced, you know, by Bosco and, and all this work when it came to jumping. So they all jumped very, very high. They all uh, were very, very strong, but they could not sprint. So we saw no correlation at all. <laughs> But if we included those uh, six to eight, uh, you know, Finnish sprinters, we saw pretty good correlation, you know, within rebound jumping and, and maximum velocity and, and, and uh, you know, the initial acceleration and the counter movement and so on. So sometimes you fall into the trap of training for the test. Huh? So you focus your training so much on the test, but it really doesn't have any application to your event we might we mustn't you know one ge governing uh, you know rule is always the speed of adaptation to impose demands you know the side principle is very very important huh? and there is so many boxes to tick off you know when it comes to comes to you know sprinting you know and if you compare it to other exercises i mean you have to look at you know recruitment or or the primary fast with fibers you got to look at the intermuscular coordination this rate or or working motor units, is there a stretch shortening uh, activity or not? You got to look at the you know joint angles, force vectors, and uh, magnitude of force, you know, and the intermuscular uh, you know intermuscular coloration, contraction of or an angular velocity, velocity movements, and force production times. And if you look at uh, at anything when it has to do with primetics, you can't tick those all off. Not all of them is what is specific. You know, if you jump, you have great uh, motor unit recruitment. You are rather, uh, you can expect a lot of involvement of fast fibers. Huh? There is a high uh, discharge rate, of course, of, of working motor units. There is a stretch shortening activity, even though it's it's shorter, it's longer than sprinting. There's definitely a stress on tendons. Uh, joint angles can be specific to sprinters if you desire, some of them at least, at the stance phase and so on. The force vectors can also be rather sprinting specific. And the magnitude of force can be very specific or usually exceeds the magnitude of forces involved with, 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 uh, with, with sprinting, uh, double or triple. Uh, the disadvantages are, you know, it's very technical demanding for some. It's not something that is easy to start with when you're 25. There's a high stress on bones and, 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 and tendons, always a risk of injury. So you have to take it slowly and gradually build, build up, you know. But the greatest advantage that I see that with primatic training, that is um, there is no hypertrophy usually involved. It, you, it doesn't, 
you don't put on an extra body mass, you know, you become stronger, you know, and uh, and the, the, if you have an overload, you know, the magnitude of force uh, is probably one thing to consider when you when you, when you, you think about adaptation, and it definitely exceeds printing. Uh, and it combines rather well with development of motor skills, which heavy lifting doesn't do as well, you know. If you do pairs of heavy lifting, it's very hard to combine with with very, very, very high intensity sprinting. And it also it it's, uh, develops general motor abilities. It's coordinative, uh, you know. So I think it's, um, uh, plyometrics is good, but it's uh, not for everyone. Uh, you have to look at the athlete. You have to look at the athlete's background. You have to look at the vulnerability to injuries. Uh, but it's a good tool, but it's not everything. So, um all the times so I'm like uh, looking at, there's a lot of like video posted on like no matter Instagram or like YouTube, there's like sprinter doing some hurdle job when they warm up and there's like different heights of like the hurdle. So how like, do you have like, uh, 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 like how to like pro program the, different like height of the hurdle and when it comes like different height of the hurdle job what exactly does that train but you know like uh, sometimes yeah just looking at the hurdle height doesn't tell the whole story you got to look also on the hip flexion you know it's like box jump you know if you have very great hip, hip flexions you can jump on very high boxes without raising your center of gravity so much it's the same for hurdle jumps too huh? Uh, so that's one aspect, you know, sometimes you can get, uh, you know, you know, jump over unnecessary high, high, uh, you know, high uh, hurdles and you would get get the same effect, you know, for over a lower hurdle, but with less uh, flexion of the hip, uh, you know, jumping from high, uh, you know, high height is, um, you know, it's a lot of ec eccentric work involved, of course. Uh, you land more on on the on the you know flat foot. You don't you maybe you stress uh, if you talk about uh, plantar flexors. Maybe the, you you uh, you stress more the soleus and the gastrocnemius. Uh, the, the, but uh, usually the you know force production times are rather long. You know uh, maybe 250 300 milliseconds if you jump over high hurdles, but. Uh, you, you can see that maybe a way of developing strength as more more toward the strength side. Then if you jump over over the very low hurdles or you do what I think the Americans call the pogo jumps, you know, they call them more the rebound jumps without hurdles. Uh, you you work more with on ankle stiffness, huh? and uh, you know you know you know much greater angles, you know, both at the ankle and the and the and the you know knee and the hip you know so this um, hurdle jumps can be done in in many many different ways and you can also choose the, the different kind of surfaces uh, you know the harder the surface uh, uh, you, usually the, the the more resultant you know the reaction force from the ground you can develop you can be developed so it's a lot more stress but it's a lot more stress on on the tendons and bones as well and the in the risk, risk uh, really, really uh, gets higher. Great. So, uh, 
if I like if I like want to like train my athlete to like jump higher, I know the answer would be like it depends or the it's context dependent. But what are your thoughts on like training like athletes to, like jump higher? Well, to jump higher, I think you have to jump. <laughs> That's primary exercise, you know. But sometimes if you deficit you, you deficit in strength, maybe you will improve your jumping capacity by improving your, your maximum strength. Uh, but uh, and it, that does sometimes if you improve in strength, you see more uh, improvement in jumping than you see the transfer to sprinting. That's at least my experience. Uh, you, you improve your squat and you improve your 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 county movement jump and you shout hooray you know hooray but then you sprint and you see oh, we are not we are not any faster but we jump higher uh, at least in in this uh, this uh, you know these um, exercises I think sometimes uh, seeing more uh, correlation with the horizontal jumping than the vertical jump when it comes to sprinting uh, some people you know sprinters. Um, they respond very well, you know, to traditional bounding, uh, speed bounding, and so on. Is a, the horizontal component is uh, greater, and you develop maybe more power from the hip extensors so that you can't uh, do with with uh, with a vertical jumping as much. Cool. So, last question before I let you go. Okay, I know I asked a lot of questions <laughs> outside of the question. I'm sorry about that. But last question before I let you go. Uh, for like sprinters, for like 100 meter sprinters, they're probably gonna last like elite of the, of the elite, they're probably gonna run like nine point something or like 10. So uh, how exactly do you like maintain that high intensity uh, speed running? And how like how do you like train like the energy system of it? Well, I think I think you know the the short to long approach makes sense for a hundred meter sprinter, like to develop uh, acceleration, you know, capacity, you know, you know, strength association to acceleration, uh, not only in the weight room but you know, heavy resisted, you know, sprinting and so on. In the early, early, you know, you know, part of the training cycle, you know, but and towards the the end, you go towards more and more speed endurance. You you develop acceleration, top speed, and then speed endurance. But there, you know, the the other camps in the world that doesn't follow that at all. They use a more traditional way of producing, you know, hundred meter sprinters as well, you know, and they do a lot more sub maximal intensity sprinting. And they um, they try to avoid uh, maximum velocity sprinting, you know, because they are scared of injuries, you know. But sometimes, uh, if you don't expose the athlete to high velocity training in training, and uh, you're going to do that in competition, uh, the 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 t- muscle tissue might uh, disagree, and uh, you you get you get injuries because you haven't been exposed before and you're not used to it, you know. But uh, I think. Um, I think you know that the shorter long approach for a hundred meter sprinter makes sense. For a two hundred meter sprinter, that has to do much more with elasticity, sprint endurance. On uh, it might be a different story, but uh, for the sixty and hundred meter guys, you know they usually what my experience for running in the world follow a 
a shorter, long approach these days. So, uh, does that, um, so shorter, long approach, does that like how, or how often do you like expose them to like the speed endurance for like, let's say 100 meter sprinters? Well, you know, speed endurance doesn't play so much of a role, you know, but still, I, th I, I think that everyone benefits from, from a little slower runs for many reasons, you know, to, you know, because it's, it's a, for rhythm, you know, for technique, you know, for, uh, you know, everything can't be high intensity all the time, you know, and I think uh, the faster you get, the more careful you have to be. And, uh, you know, a microcycle of seven days, might not be ideal, you know, to try to fit in three high-speed sessions in seven days might be impossible. If you, but you think about the microcycle in maybe nine, nine or ten days, it's um, it's pretty it's usually possible for for any level. But uh, I think uh, with 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 speed, the faster you get, you have to reduce the volume as well uh, because uh, the stress is, is much higher on the on the system if you run. 11.5 meter per second in training than you know if you're running 10 meter per second in training it's a to totally different ballpark so. cool appreciate it coach i really love it and i learned a lot today so thanks a lot eric it's a it's a pleasure and honor to be a part of your great product you're a hard working man and uh, you're a nice guy, and it's very, very hard to say no when you, you ask if you, you want to be, you know, in part of your podcast. It's uh, my pleasure, actually. Appreciate it, Coach. So if there's, like, coaches or therapists are interested in what we are talking about today, where can they reach out to you? Well, uh, a little bit. Uh, I'm on social media when it comes to Twitter. My my uh, my Twitter account is Sprint S W E. You can find me or Instagram. It's Sprint Coach. Yeah, appreciate it.